We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This is number nine in our series of culture podcasts. So we've teamed up with World Strides Excel, who are the industry leader in international soccer tours with over 15 years experience delivering soccer tours for a range of clientele, schools, clubs, coaches. Very easily done. You pick the country or countries and their experts will customize a trip that includes competitive matches, training sessions, tickets to pro games, sightseeing and much more. They also offer a quality level of support, including financial assistance, liability coverage, hassle-free travel and easy registration. So not only are we doing these culture podcasts with World Strides, we're also teaming up with them to bring you the first ever Modern Soccer Coach Education Tour to Barcelona on February 6th to February 12th, 2019. So really excited about that. They are going to bring a group of coaches together from around the world to visit Barcelona, look at the academy structure, the local federation, coach education events, and then take in the experience with a couple of professional games and, of course, visit the new camp as well. So been wanting to do Spain for a long time and really excited to do the trip with a group of coaches who are as passionate about the game and development as myself. So details about that will be coming up very, very shortly and we will have registration open should be at the end of the month. So our guest for today's show is Andy Reid. He's a recently retired professional player with a career spanning almost 20 years in the Premier League with Nottingham Forest, Spurs, Charlton Athletic and Sunderland. He's represented Ireland at youth and international levels and is now the assistant coach with the under-18 national team. Our chat today is about Andy's experience in the game and Irish football in general the type of player he was, how that player was developed, the reason why he chose the academy he did, the importance in balance on life and the experiences he had with certain coaches. Some brilliant stuff here. You're going to really, really enjoy this. Andy's insight is outstanding and he goes into great depth about how we should be developing the next generation of people, not just players. So a lot of brilliant stuff here. Excited as always to hear what you think about it. Please, please, please let me know on Twitter at Gary Kernin, on Instagram at Gary Kernin. Please don't leave without giving it a rating on the iTunes page and spreading the word of the podcast. Always appreciate you listening. Always appreciate you helping spread the word. Thanks so much. Here's Andy. Enjoy. Andy, thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to have you on. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, we've been we've been planning it for a bit, so it's good to finally get around to it. <laughs> First question for you. You moved to an English academy, obviously from Ireland, and you, you chose Forest ahead of United and Arsenal and other big clubs. Curious to see what why exactly that was. Was it the state of play? Was it the opportunity to get first-team football? Or was there something about the environment there? Well, I think it's probably a bit of a bit of all three of them, really. Um, you know, I, I went over to, to to Man United and I went to Arsenal, and there was 
probably kind of 80 kids there on on, on, a, on a trial week so uh you know to, to kind of get a look in even even in a trial environment was was pretty difficult uh whereas you know you you flipped that on its head and i went over to forest um you know some of the trials that i went over there i was training with the U team and, and you know they threw you in to see what you could do so i always felt that there was more opportunities for me at forest to uh to get into the force team there, there was a better pathway um i believed was there uh, the the coaching style was was really really good. Um, initially when I went over, we had uh, John Perkins as a U team manager, and and then by the time I'd signed, then Paul Hart had come in. And um, I, you know, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with Paul, but obviously Paul is um is one of the best coaches of young players that that, that I've ever come across. So I was very very lucky to um to be able to go into that learning environment that he created, and you know he was a fantastic coach. So, uh, you know, all them things made me feel that that Forest was the right place to me. When my mum and dad came over to to have a look at where we we're going to be staying and and get a feel for the club, you know, they were the, they were of the same opinion. You know, they left thinking saying they were saying to me, "We we really like you to go there. We feel comfortable with you going there. We think it's the right place." So it was it was a no brainer. Um, if 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 the truth be told. You said they mentioned there, Paul Hard. I read a quote where you said, "I wrote this one down." He was brilliant. I don't think anyone could have given me a better football education, not just technically or regards to positional sense, but in terms of football etiquette as well, how you conduct yourself on and off the field. Can you talk about that football etiquette? Yeah, well, well, listen. Uh, 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 probably the best example that I would give you was when you know when 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 he took over as force team manager, um, he got everybody in the whole club uh, together, staff, players everybody and uh, he, he made it clear in no uncertain terms that everybody needed to be respectful to everybody else um so if you're passing somebody in the morning you say good morning to them uh you know uh, you, you get to know people's names of people walking at the club you know he was really really big on that um because he'd experienced that because he played on the Brian Clough of Forest so he'd experienced that real family kind of community spirit within the club where everybody knew everybody and everybody respected everybody and he was really big on that and I thought it was fantastic and, and it gave us it gave us a really good footing uh, as I said other things that I can give you an example of if you're walking through the training ground or if you're walking to the stadium and there's a piece of paper on the ground or, or a bit of litter pick it up and put it in the bin this is your environment to learn so you create what you want from it and all them things were very very important some people might not see that as very very important but if if you get everybody pulling in the same direction everybody keeping the place tidy everybody knows everybody else good morning jane how are you you know that kind of thing it creates a real good environment and uh and it stands you in good stead then kind of moving forward you know helps you with, with you know with your respect with your manners and as a young player that's what I mean when I say how we had such a football, a good football upbringing. The things that I learned, um, you know, if you take take the coaching away, the things that I learned off the pitch, you know, things that that had had been enforced in me from my parents and were being reinforced, um, from 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 my academy manager Paul when we went over there. I find it really interesting because today we try and do that in academies with, you know, it's decency, it's morals, it's manners. And today we almost have to sell that there with posters or showing the videos of people doing great stuff. And, you know, how, how did Paul sell that to you? 
Uh, well, listen, it, it wasn't that he had to sell it. It was, it, was, it, was, it was expected of us. You know, he expected us to have the courtesy and to have the manners. He didn't. Uh, we weren't better than, than anybody else. We weren't better than the secretary that walked in the club or the dinner lady or anything like that. We were all in it together. So when he puts it across to you that way, there's no need to sell it to you. That's just, that's just human decency, and that's you know, footballers are no better, they're no, uh, and they're no worse than 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 the normal person. Uh, so, so we, um, you know, these were things that were expected of us uh, when we came in, and um, and and as I said, they weren't really needed to be sold, especially to me because I, you know, I, I I had a really good upbringing. I was brought up with manners to treat people with respect. So for me, it was a continuation of it, and um, and it was. It was really enjoyable, and as I said, it was it was it was stuff that stood me instead uh, in good stead for my whole career. And uh, and he also what he did, you know, if you kind of move away from the off the field stuff, he kind of mirrored that on the field, on the training ground, and everybody around the academy, all the coaches, they all mirrored it, and uh, and to take it onto the training pitch. So those things that Paul was teaching us as kids that that stuck with me, and that I found myself doing up until the last game that I ever played. Looking then at Irish football, you were part of that generation who came third in the 97 World Youth Championship and then won the 98 European Youth Championship, both at 16 and 18s. When, when you look at that, you think you, you forget about Ireland and you think about Portugal or something like that. But what was special about that group in terms of how they developed and why have we not developed players as consistently as that since then? Um. It's a really difficult one to put your finger on, and and if I suppose if 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 we had the answers to that, then you know, you, you, we 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 probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Me and you, we'd probably be, you know, we'd probably be running the FEI somewhere. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not as you know it's not as it's not as cut and dry as that. It's not as simple as that. There's a lot of factors go into it. Um, I believe that that generation sprang up from in and around the '88 European Championships and the 1990 World Cup. Um, I believe that that really got people into a buzz for football. A lot of kids were going out and playing football on the street after those games, and that helped develop players um, that we've seen in and around that period. Uh, and then you couple that Brian Kerr and Nola Royley um, as a partnership, looking looking after those teams, nurturing those teams from 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 a very young age, um, and keeping an eye on what was coming out was also a massive massive part of that. And then once you get all them things together and then you get that group of people together, then it, it, there's an onus on the players then to buy into everything that, that Noel and Brian were, you know, were, were, were trying to kind of impress upon us. Um, the team spirit was, was second to none. You know, we would, we would have sing-songs. The Irishness was, was really there. You know, it was, we were a really, really close bunch of players. So we had ability. Um, we we had we had a great manager and assistant manager. We had a good support team around us. We had uh, an excellent group of talented players, and then we brought the team spirit. For us, then once we got into the tournament, and everybody started spending more time with each other, we started feeling a lot more comfortable with each other. It just rolled on from there, and we got better and better as the tournament went on. And and you know, as you see in the games that we played, you know, we beat Spain. You mentioned Portugal there. We Portugal 2-0 in the semi-final they couldn't get close to us and then we, we, we had a tough game against Italy in the final but we managed to come out on top and beat them 2-1 so you know you're talking about beating you know three of the top nations in Europe um, at, at their home game so to speak because we were playing really really good attractive attacking football yeah that that team spirit and together togetherness was a hallmark of Irish football it seemed from that like you said that era of Jack Charlton 
uh, look to be outside looking in, look to be a big part of that team for sure. But you know, curious to think to see whether you think there's a danger that we've swapped that team spirit and togetherness for fancy tactical systems these days. Yeah, well, well, I do. Um, you know, I think um, I think you know it. It's kind of springs from the um, from the Trapattoni kind of um, stint. Um, I think a lot of the um, you know the, the the team spirit and the camaraderie and the Irishness I feel was was probably taken out of the Irish teams and and replaced with like you say kind of tactical um, a lot of tactical work a lot of you know a lot of um, you know very rigidness there wasn't very much room for people to express themselves and and uh, you know don't get me wrong I'm not saying that you can't you can't go and win games on Tibera. You need to be tactically aware, but you can have a bit of both. And and I think that kind of went out of it with us. You know, if you, you talk about the successful Irish teams and the teams that I played in, we were very very tactically aware. We were set out uh, our formations were set out really really well. Everybody knew their job. The work had been done on the training ground. But we also had that team spirit and that togetherness that that maybe went out of the um, went out of the game and that went out of the Irish game in that period. Sometimes, you know, I look back when you're learning coaching, you're looking at different styles and then going back to the styles that you grew up watching. Sometimes I think if that Irish team from Charlton even had I had orange shirts and been called Holland, we would be raving about the pressing or, or if it was a German team. Do, do you think we've suffered as an, as an Irish culture, as an Irish football culture from stereotype or Irishness, as you said? <laughs> Yeah, well, well, what I say, well, I think we we, we have suffered at, at, at times, but we've also benefited from it as well because people have feared coming to play against us at times because they know that they were in for a tough game. So you can be stereotyped in a bad way, um, but if you look at it on the on the on the um, positive side of it, you know, teams didn't want to come and play against us; they didn't enjoy playing against playing against us. So that played into our hands in some respects. So. Um, you know, I think I think it's about finding the happy medium, uh, which is always difficult. You know, I think it's it's about getting that that camaraderie, getting that team spirit, and if you can couple that, then obviously the tactical side of the game, the work that you do on the training ground. What formation are we going to play? What formation suits the team that we're going to play? Uh, who's who fits into these formations? What tactics are we going to play? Are we going to press? Are we going to sit off? Are we going to let them have the ball? Uh, are we going to pass out from the back? Or are we going to play a little bit more direct depending on who we're playing against? If you have all these different things within your armory, then you're able to adapt. And I, and, and I think that's one thing that's very important within within football. And I think it's very important for coaches to be able to to be able to be adaptable, you know, tactically adaptable, um, socially adaptable, you know, be able to deal with players. How can I get the best out of him? And how can we, you know, if, if, if we're playing against somebody who, if we press them really, really high up the pitch, we're going to get picked off, OK? So we need to sit in and just buy their time and wait for that opportunity. Or if we're playing against somebody that, well, actually, we think we can get at these and we can win the ball up really high up the pitch, let's go and press them. Do you have to be one or do you have to be the other? I don't think you have to be one or the other. I think you can have all different types of ways of playing. Um, and I think that's to do with a coach being tactically uh, adaptable. I saw you mentioned in one of your articles in the newspaper that the young players in Ireland today need safe players to develop into top-flight players. Can you describe, you know, what you think or how you feel those safe places? What that looks like? Uh, well, for me, what it looks like in my head is probably um, what what in Dublin I would consider a five-a-side pitch. 
um, which um, you know there was a lot of them around in in the in the eight in the seventies and eighties. And I know um, I used to go and watch my dad. My dad was a League of Ireland footballer, but he also played a lot of five sides in and around Dublin, and and they were street footballers, uh, so to speak, and 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 they developed their tactical their, their technical skills a lot. Um, in and around that, and there's some some excellent players kind of came from that from that, and I see them as 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 I, I see that I see them as kind of you know places where uh, in in and around in and around houses in and around housing estates, but it's a safe place for people to play. It can be monitored. Um, kids don't fear. It's not it's not kind of it's not kids hanging around causing trouble. It's kids that are there to play football, and and as I said, being monitored I think is is very very important. I know that comes with a cost, but it also comes with its benefits as well. If you create, if you can create these um, these environments for these kids, then then I believe you will see the benefits of it in 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 future years. And I, I think I think that 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 is shown in Irish football at the moment that that has gone out. You know, we we don't have that Robbie Keane. You know, and, and I, I mentioned Robbie Keane because you know he's probably one of the most instinctive footballers that I've ever played with or against. Uh, you know, he's instinctive. Where do I go to score a goal? Um, what's my movement? How can I do it? And yet you can learn them to a certain extent. But a lot of that is instinct that you kind of get, you develop from your very, very early days, in my opinion, of playing football out on the street. We used to go out uh, at nine o'clock in the morning in the summer holidays, put two two jumpers down one end, two jumpers down the other, and play against the you know kids on my street. We'll play against the kids from the street around the corner. And we learned to develop... Um, our skills, our technique, uh, we, we learned to develop a, a winning mentality because we didn't want to lose to them kids from around the street, which a, min- a winning mentality is obviously very, very important in football. And uh, So you can start to develop these things from a really, really young age before you even start getting any coaching. I think kids are missing that early stage now because they're in playing computers and they're doing this and they're doing that. And they're not out playing football where they should be. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. What's the biggest threat to that safe place? Is it is it parents? Is it coaches? Or is it just society in general? Well, I think it's society in general, but I also think that it can be easily rectified. You know, okay, it will take funding. It will take government funding. It will take the FEI to get on board to try and help create these safe environments. And then it's up to the parents. I mean, I hear so many parents moaning about their kids sitting in a bedroom playing on the PlayStation or the Xbox or whatever it may be. Or I'm like, well, why don't you get them out and take them down football? Why don't you go out in the back garden with your kid and play football? I'm constantly out in the back garden with my son playing football. He's allowed to play his Xbox for, 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 for probably a half an hour, three quarters of an hour a day. Um, uh, which, which uh, how can, I don't, for people who don't play it, it might seem a lot, but mo- a, lot, a lot of his friends would probably play for four or five hours a day, you know. And I say to him then, right, that's enough of the football. In your, out you come, back garden, let's go and play football. And if I'm being totally honest with you, I don't have to force him. You know, if I'm sitting there watching the TV, he's coming into me and he's like, Dad, come on, game of football out the back. And it's kind of like a contract that you enter with your kid. If, if I'm telling him to get off his PlayStation to go and play football, then he can tell me to get off the sofa and go and play football with him. <laughs> Again, one of your quotes, this jumped out at me. Uh, at the very, very top, I think you find people who are ridiculously obsessive. A perfect example of that would have been Roy Keane, but I couldn't be like that. And I realized this quite early on in my career, and I don't apologize for that. And that in no way is me not being dedicated to football. I just couldn't live my life like that. I love football. I adore it. And when I'm playing, I give it everything to my manager, my team, and I hate losing. But there's other things in your life. Do you think we misinterpret that as a coaching community? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I think that... Yeah, 
you know, football football was was my life. You know what I mean? Football uh, always has been, but I but I needed things outside of football to be able to switch off to switch my brain off. I, I, you know, I, I needed that mental, but probably more so when I, when I was playing with coaching. I think it's different because you don't have the physical aspect of it. So with coaching, you can kind of fully immerse your brain into it without actually feeling physically kind of tired. When I was playing, and that quote goes for for, for me when I when I was playing. When I needed to switch off, I needed a break, whether it be physically, I needed to totally switch off, so I needed other things. I needed to rest my brain and I needed to rest my body to get myself ready for the next training session or the next game. So uh, that probably hasn't come out maybe, um, you know, how 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 I meant it. Um, you know, football was, was, was totally and utterly, utterly my life, but I needed other things to be able to switch off my, and, and I needed to switch off my, to be able to rest my brain and to rest my body to get myself ready and to be best prepared for the next challenge that came up. In the US, so many coaches complain that kids today don't watch enough games and they don't watch enough away from training. But I was wondering, in your experience, is there any correlation between a top footballer and how much they watch and study the game? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't put a, a massive on it. I think it's I think it's important that that a player wants to watch football for you know. I mean, I love watching football. I love watching a game. I always have. You know, you, you turn on the TV and you want to watch a game. I'd watch any type of football if it's on. Um, I I think what it is is. With, with the modern day player and especially the professional players, the higher you go up, you, there's so much um, video analysis in the game now. Um, I think it's it's so so when you're at the training ground, invariably every day you're going to be watching some sort of game. You're going to be watching either you're going to be doing a, a, an analysis for the game that you, that that you've that you've played, or else you're going to be reviewing. Um, the, the game. Uh, the, oh, sorry, you're going to be previewing the game that you're going to be coming up with. So, so there's always something that you're going to be watching there. So you've got a real, real overload there. Now, when you go back, sometimes it's nice to turn on the television and watch a game just for the enjoyment of watching a game and not to be having to be really, really switched on to every single thing. You know, because when I'm watching, if I'm watching a game and we're previewing a team or we're, we're preparing for a team on the Saturday, I'm looking at the fullback. I'm like, right, what type of runs does he make? I'm looking at my centre forward. I'm thinking, right, how can you kind of counteract their centre half? So I'm looking at so many different things that you get. Your, your brain has always been engaged. So sometimes it's, it's nice to be able to kind of have that break from the real, real engagement into it but still watch it for the enjoyment because let's not forget when we started playing football we started playing football because we didn't we weren't doing it for tactics we weren't doing it because we wanted to play a 4-2-3-1 or we wanted to play a 4-3-3 or we wanted to press high up the pitch we played it like i go back to because we put two jumpers down one end two jumpers down the other end we played against the other lads and we had a game and we all enjoyed it and we loved it if we scored a goal it was great so that's enjoyment so i think it's very very important that we keep enjoyment in football watching it coaching it and playing it yeah but it brings me along nicely to the type of player you were technical creative risk taker wand of a left foot does it frustrate you that you played and now coach in an era that values those other the physical tactical and and for a large part puts the genius of coaches ahead of sometimes the magic of the players well i i i disagree with you to 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 extent to a certain extent and and i'll give you a perfect example if you look at if you look at manchester city 
I mean, you look at Manchester City's most creative player, David Silva. Now, Guardiola's gone in there and basically he's built that team around David Silva. And he's given him full licence to go and do whatever he wants within the team structure. Now, David Silva is uh, is not a massively physical player. You know, you look at Sergio Aguero in that team as well. You look at um, Bernardo Silva in that team as well. You know, th- and I think this is a really good example of, you know, I think we've we've got, you know, you need the physical aspects to the game. I, you know, I think that's very, very important. And it's getting more and more so because, you know, people are getting fitter, people are getting faster. But the technical side of it, you know, people can work on fitness and people can work on that and you can work on technique, but natural ability and certain things that players do naturally, you look at David Silva, there probably wouldn't be, you can teach David Silva a little bit of positional tense, but you can't tell David Silva what he wants to do when he gets the ball or what he should do when he gets the ball. Uh, the, the guy is a genius and, and, and Guardiola's realised that and, and he's put him as a main focal point in his team. So, I understand the point that you're making, um, and uh, physical emphasis is put in. Uh, it's put, there's a lot more emphasis on it now, but um, I think there's, there's still also a very, very big influence by the technical players, and you know you find and the, the good example of that is Manchester City. They're dominating everything. They're dominating games of football um, physically and technically, and some of the most technical players are the ones who are the difference. Yeah, they're ticking every box, aren't they? Those types of teams. Yeah, well, when you say those types of teams, there's not too many like Man City, to be honest with you, so they're probably in their own category um, at the moment, probably above everybody. Um, and, you know, so so I, I don't, you know, I don't think that, I, I think I could probably maybe have even thrived even more in this generation. Oh, wow. Yeah, because look, I would have thought, you know, the, the era of the 80s, I would have thought that would have been an era that you would have, you would have killed it at. Yeah, yeah, well, listen, possibly, but I mean, I don't look at, I don't look at it as in, uh, I don't look at it like that. I mean, I'm looking at the positive aspects of here and now, and, and that's what I see. You say that to me, and the first thing that comes into my head is, well, look at Manchester City, mm-hmm. look how technical, look how technically good they are, look how they want to play them true balls, look how they want to take up positions to get on the ball, look how they want to get into them pockets between full backs and centre backs, between midfielders and uh, and defenders. They want to get in their pockets. That was what I loved doing. Uh, you know, if I was playing out wide, I loved going into that pocket in between the fullback and the centre back. And I used to look at the fullback and say, "Okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to come and mark me? If he wants to come in and mark me, my fullback will overlap, and I'll play it. I'll throw the ball. I'll play through the ball to him, or somebody else will slip him in. And then I know that the next time, then the fullback is going to be saying to himself, "I can't really go in there because if I go in there, then he's going to the fullback's going to overlap." So the fullback stays where he is. They're up at the opposition. Fullback stays where he is, and then I get the ball in a little pocket in plenty of space, and I'm able to create. So it's just little, little things that 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 that, that I see, and um, and I see them happening now. You know, these aren't things that you know. These aren't things that 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 have gone out of the game. These are things that happen now, and that people are getting a hell of a lot of success with. On that, you know, when you listen to people like Graham Sunis, they'll tell you that the game hasn't changed a lot from the eighties. But do you see the game when you watch the Man Cities? How do you interpret what they do in, in terms of, you know, 10 years ago? Oh, listen, the, 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 the game... Listen, the game has has the game has has changed. Obviously, the game is always evolving. So, so you know, it, it has changed. It's changed. It changes all the time. It changes from season to season. Um. So there's there's always. 
you know, there's always things that, you know, there's always things that are different. There's always things that are moving on. So for somebody to say that hasn't really changed, you know, I think is, I, I think is wrong. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's where the, the top class coaches are coming into their own. They're finding new ways to defend better, to win the ball back, to attack better, to pass the ball better, to get in better positions, finding new formations. That's what kind of that's what you want from coaches is to be always be evolving and always learning. And um, and, and when the coaches are always learning and they're feeding that onto the players, then the players are developing, and that means the game is changing. So the game is constantly changing. What do you enjoy most about coaching? Uh, I, I, well, listen. If you strip it down to the to, to the bare bones, okay. The thing that I get the most pleasure from is when you work on something on the pitch, on the training pitch, and then you go into a game and you see it happening. Because that's what a coach wants to do, isn't it? You know, he wants a coach wants to he wants to get. He he wants to what he's working on. He wants to get it out there on the pitch and see it happen. So that's the thing. That's the thing that that you get the most pleasure from. I love being out on the pitch and I, and and I love getting getting my point across them and I love using my experiences and being able to get my experiences to whether it be young players or senior players, whatever it may be. It doesn't really matter. I love getting my get you know. So I like I like being able to kind of put on a session and do something and then go over and and I know that what I'm doing is is has worked as I've been there and I've done that and it's nice getting your getting you know getting your experience so to speak across to them whenever we talk about coaching philosophies we're always shaped in a large way by our experiences or by coaches we had ourselves which coach for you had the biggest impact on you well I would have I would have to say I would have to say um Paul Hart um, and obviously, I would say that, and I think probably one of the reasons why he did was was because he started working with me for such a for, from such a young age. So he was a, so he was able to he was able to impact because I think when you're younger, you're you're a bit like a sponge. You kind of take a lot more in than when you're older. When you're older, I think you kind of uh, a lot of players go into this. Um, oh well, I know everything now anyway, you know. <laughs> but I think when you're younger, you're always listening, you're always wanting to learn, and and I think that was what Paul was really, really good at understanding that, and uh, and getting the getting the points across. So I think the, the coach that I took the most from would that would would have been Paul, because as I said earlier on when we were chatting, there was things that I were a lot of stuff that that called that Paul coached me and helped me with from from a young age that I was still using until the very last game that I played. That's a powerful impact, isn't it? Over that amount of time. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, it is, and and the funny thing is, a lot of them were 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 were, um, were very very basic things as well. Uh, body shape when defending, positional sense, where can you be to receive the ball? Body shape when receiving the ball. Uh, you know, what way do you receive the ball? Passing the ball. Uh, you know, we we worked in in the U team. Uh, you know, Paul was tactically very very good, uh, and but we worked on a lot of stuff that was really really basic. And 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 I, I'm like this as a coach now. I'm very very big on the basics basics of the game. Don't take that ten yard pass for granted. That five yard pass for granted. Make sure it's a good pass because you're starting off the move. Uh, you're passing on time to somebody else. Then when somebody does pass you the ball, what's your body shape? Is your body shape correct? to to go to where you need to go next where are you going to pass the ball to so you need your body shape correct correct so you know all these things i see these as basics of the game 
And, and when you say basics of the game to some people and to some coaches, I, I think they kind of look down the nose a little bit about it and think, well, I already know that. Well, I think you need to work on them basics of the game all the time. I really, really do. Working with the Irish under-18s, is that a difficult age in terms of you know them coming into the game and just being introduced to the the money side of it and the finances that they're going to get? Um, I I think they're probably not at that age yet. Where I mean, some of them are earning you know de- decent money as you know as as everybody knows now. But I don't think that's too much of an issue at the moment. Most of the lads that I've worked with, um, so far with the 18s, they that you know they've they've really been good. They've been spot on. They've been willing to learn. They've been you know, wanting to want to learn, wanting to get better, listening to what you say and taking it on board. And more importantly, trying to implement it when we do go out on the pitch. Because as I said, that's that's what you're looking for. You're looking for what you do. There's no point in you working all week on something on the training pitch and then the lad's going out on it on, on, uh, on for the game on a Saturday or whatever day it may be and, and not trying to do anything that you've coached. I mean, that's just that's just totally useless. You know, you might as well have not spent the whole week doing that. So that's the, that's the aim. Um, is to is to what you believe in what you're coaching, but also get the lads to believe into so when, but to buy into it and believe in it. So when they do go out on the pitch on a Saturday, they can implement it because that's what it's all about is implementing it. it, it, it I call it pointless coaching um, if if you just walk on stuff just for the sake of it and it's got no relevance to the game on a Saturday. Do you encourage those youth players to to almost do the same as what you did in terms of? take a step away from the game every now and again and have a balance in your life or do you leave it to themselves to find that? Uh, well, I think everybody's different, you see. And, and, and when, I, you know, when, I, when I spoke about how I was earlier on, that wasn't what every other player was like. That was what I felt I needed to get the best out of me. So every player is different. Uh, so I think it's, uh, and every player needs to find a way. You know, if somebody comes to you and they ask your advice, you give them your advice based on your experience. But, you know, I'm very, very keen to stress that what might have been good for me and what might have suited me might not have suited um, everybody else. It wouldn't have probably suited everybody else. It'd be different. You know, everybody's different. Some people would have taken a lot more, a lot more lax that uh, kind of attitude to, um, to, to to the game than me. Others would have been a lot more, um, you know, they'd have been a lot more intense and a lot more kind of on it and uh, 24 hours a day. So... You know, so so there's um there's there's different ways of going on, and and not one way is right and not one way is wrong. So it's really difficult to say to a kid or uh, say to him, you need to do it this way. When you go home, this is what you need to do because everybody has different ways of preparing, different ways of switching on, and different ways of switching off. You've just to try and give them the best advice that you think you can. You had your differences with with Trapattoni and Irish setup, and without looking to get into the details of it was the biggest difference in tactics, state of play, methods of communication or lack of communication? What what caused the most tension? Um, Probably all of them, I would say. Um, I think it was quite obvious that I didn't. Um, so, so you talk about tactically, first of all, I didn't fit into his style of play. He wasn't really interested in technical players, especially in the midfield area. So um, straight away, I didn't really fit into into the way that he was um, into the way that he wanted to play. And listen, not all players fit into the way our managers or coaches want to play. Uh, so so you know you, you kind of take that on board. Whether you agree with it or whether you don't agree with it, you kind of take that on board. Now you move on to the communication aspect and lack of communication, and and probably 
uh, inability to communicate in the English language um, was 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 probably part of it as well. Um, you know, if if I had had clear communication and he had come to me and said, "Listen, you're not going to fit into into the way that I play," um, so you know, there's probably probably no point in you kind of being in and around. Then maybe we could have kind of settled it, I suppose, amicably, amicably, but. He that that wasn't really the case, um, and arguments kind of ensued, and and it wasn't, you know, it, and it ended up being messy the way it was, which was which was kind of disappointing, really, um, and you know something that that didn't really need to be, uh, and and that was the thing that probably disappointed me the most, you know, was that, you know, it was all made out to be, uh, you know, to be about arguments and to be about stuff away from football. When it all boiled down to football, it was all totally and hundred percent about football, and just the way he went about it, I totally disagreed with, and and I let him know. Last night you tweeted, "Great to see Luke Shaw playing with confidence and feeling like he can express himself okay on the pitch." How does a coach do that at at that top level? Um, well, I think there's probably a bit of both. I, I think there's there's a bit comes from the coach, but there's also a lot comes from a player. Um, and he's obviously had a really really good uh, off season. Uh, he's worked really really hard in the off season, and he's had a really really good pre season. So he's come back and after his injuries and. Uh, and a poor season last season where he was in and out of the team you know he's come back and he's he, he feels good physically uh you know he's got over his injuries he's got over all that and he's thought you know what i'm gonna have a real go here and he's he's done well in pre-season and and, and kind of it, it starts off with a little bit and then you play well uh, you get a couple of games on your belt and then it grows and it grows and it grows and you see him last night and, and I was watching him last night and the reason that I said that I mean I don't people you know a normal supporter might not notice these things but but a, a player or an ex-player or a coach when you're looking at, at these things you look at first touch you look at passes you look at the way you pass the ball do you fizz it in or are you tentative with it and Luke Shaw fizzing balls in he was making what he was playing one twos. He was getting in really good positions to receive the ball. Uh, defensively, he was in really, really good positions. So he uh, he just struck me as somebody with a lot of confidence, and it was really, really nice to see. And and credit to him because it's been a difficult period, and sometimes you don't always get the coach. If you if you if you ask me from a player's perspective, sometimes you don't always get the coach to help you with your confidence. Sometimes you've got to go and do it yourself. And let's finish with uh, with creativity. You're into your music, your writing, poetry, Irish literature, James Joyce, Oscar Wilde, W.B. Yeats. Uh, we mentioned then about the type of player you were, the creative player. Uh, really interested to see how how do you find ways to be creative in your coaching? Uh, well, listen, studying is very, very important. Um, studying coaching, probably prob- studying coaching is, is is probably a lot more important than uh, you know than studying um, as a player. It's difficult to study as a player because everybody is quite individual. Um, but as a, as a as a coach, I really believe you can study. You can take on new ways of doing things. Uh, you can you can go and watch other people what they're doing and try and. Uh, you know, uh, you can take some of the bits out of different sessions that that, that coaches do, and then add your own flavour to it. Uh, and also, one thing that I'm very, very, uh, I'm very, very keen on, and it's something that I've been doing quite a bit, is studying other sports, um, and in particular rugby. And uh, what are the rugby lads doing? What are these elite rugby lads doing? 
What are these elite American footballers doing? What are these basketball players doing? You know, these really, really top, top uh, sports people throughout the world. What are they doing that we can take from their sports to make ours a little bit better? And as a coach, what can I add in there that might just make, might just give me that extra few percent from different sports? So studying and, and see what you can take from different areas. Be open-minded to, be open-minded to everything that's going on. And okay, you're not going to take everything on board. You're not going to want to take everything on board, but be open to it. What can I take on board from this? Or you could watch something and instead of saying, oh yeah, I can take that from 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 this session look say well i may i know that i don't want to take this from this session so it's not always about what you want to take sometimes it's about realizing what you don't want to take as well and finally the the liam miller fundraiser in cork on the 25th of september there looks to be a huge response to it uh, listen it's absolutely fantastic response you know it really really is because it's you know what what has happened is a tragedy and it's it's, it's affected us all you know really really deeply and you know it's kind of hits home you know it really does hit home you think oh, I've, I've got three kids myself two of them are young i've got a one-year-old and a six-year-old and you know and liam has has, has young kids you know and and and, and, and his, the, their father's been taken away from them and it, it's 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 such a tragedy, uh, so to be able to mark it um, and to show our uh, respects, and you know it will be uh, you know a very emotional occasion. Um, I've no doubt about that whatsoever. But I'm also hopeful that it'll be a celebratory um, occasion as well, and, and we can celebrate the, the fantastic life and career that 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 Liam had, and you know, and and be able to show his family the respect that he had when in the game. Absolutely. First class. First class. Andy, thank you so much for this. Absolutely no brilliant. Talk, really enjoyed no it. Great insight. Yeah. No, no, it's been it's it, it's been good, mate. It's been a good chat. It's been a good chat. Thanks so much to Andy for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. A couple of takeaways from me. I thought right from the start, the impact of his youth coach at Nottingham Forest, Paul Hart, was was really, really powerful. We think of great academy coaches as people who can take them as players and do this with them and do that with them and develop them physically, technically. But it's great to hear Andy give an insight into how he developed him as a person. And it's almost as an extension, as he said, from his parents, those things that we sometimes take for granted, the humility, the manners, being interested about other people, being selfless. Um, I don't think there's a coincidence that Andy was so generous with his time there and he came across really, really well. And that grounding is so, so important from youth youth coaches as well as parents. So I think from that there side, I think it's really, really important what he's saying, that we have to be adaptable all the time. And every coach is nodding and saying, yeah, adaptable, give me the next tactical book, get me the next clips that I need to be watching. But we also have to be adaptable socially, as he says, to be able to deal with individuals and and to be able to prepare them individually rather than just say, we have to be doing this and we have to be doing that. The goal is not for every player to be the same. The goal is not to develop 2,000 Chavis as nice as it would be. The goal is to develop good, well-rounded people who are at different stages of every form of development as people, as athletes and as soccer players too so I thought that was really interesting and it was great you can hear how passionate he is about that there and and I'm excited that that he's bringing that insight to the Irish game Um, curious to hear from Irish coaches just it's a time at the minute where there's question marks that are asked about the game at the senior level and the youth level as well and curious to hear what people's thoughts are you know these these 
podcasts are about culture and and about the the value of opening your minds to different types of culture and what we should maybe take from other cultures and maybe what we should appreciate more about other cultures and that's what I learned from this I'm from Northern Ireland I haven't lived at home since 1999 but I want to look at this more as are we looking abroad are we looking internationally are we looking around the world to develop better players or are we looking to take those things and to personalize them in our own culture and to make better Irish players better players from Northern Ireland and improve our national teams and how can we improve the collective and the individual as well because I think he said that was the inspiration for the team of himself and Robbie Keane and Damien Duff as youth players was the success of the 1990 Ireland team the 1994 Ireland team so I think it's really important that countries have success at the World Cup level because it's going to inspire the next generation. So yeah, I would love to hear from people, um, from Irish people and people maybe from outside Ireland who have visited or people who are keeping an eye on it uh, to have their ideas and their insight as to what, what can improve and, and maybe taking some stuff from Andy as well. So like I said, really excited that, that he's involved in the game and can't wait to see his coaching path. I think he's got an awful lot of great stuff to be to be providing the young players um, back home as well. So thanks so much to him. As always, would love to hear your thoughts on that there. Um, please, please, please let me know. At Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Email Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Uh, always, always, always love hearing what resonated with coaches, what you enjoyed, uh, what you agreed with, maybe what you didn't agree with, but... Uh, just talking points in general and keep the conversation going so thanks so much to Andy hope you enjoyed it Uh, please without leaving please give it a rating on the iTunes page thanks for listening talk to you soon have a great week thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com